principal dancer with American Ballet Theater, James Whiteside defies expectations and is celebrated for doing the unimaginable. His boundless star power and unapologetic authenticity keeps audiences coming back for more. Show business, to me, is about understanding the audience as well as understanding yourself as an artist. I want to have a conversation with the audience that they can understand. And sometimes when you show effort through enormous energy, they respond to it. You're listening to Moving Moments, the podcast that explores the dance world's most accomplished and groundbreaking artists. I'm your host, Alicia Graf Mack, Dean and Director of Dance at the Juilliard School. During each episode, you'll hear me talk with some of my closest friends and most trusted colleagues as we sit down to hear about their creative process and how they are changing the dance world on and off the stage. I loved listening to your book, Center Center, so I could hear you tell your story in your voice. Mm, thanks. I think it's such a different experience than than reading it, which is also exciting. But I learned that your journey into ballet started fairly late for a professional dancer. What attracted you to ballet in the first place and what brought you to this world? Well, at first, nothing really attracted me to ballet. I was required to take ballet classes at my small school in Fairfield, Connecticut called the Dance Center. And uh, when I first started there, I was it was in a racquetball club. They were these wood floors. There were mirrors on one wall. It was sort of a fitness studio. And uh, these, you know, enterprising young artists started their own school in that racquetball club. And uh, in order to move up a level in a jazz class or a tap class, they required that you take a certain amount of ballet classes, which mm. is brilliant because, mm -hmm. of course... All I wanted to do was jazz and tap and acrobatics. Yeah. And ballet was a hard no for me at that age, which was nine years old. And it wasn't until they brought me to see American Ballet Theater here in New York City that I, I, I mean, I didn't know what ballet could be until I saw that performance. It was a gala performance, you know, one of those like mishmash, greatest hits mm -hmm. kind of deal. And yeah, I was a, like... A gumbo, I call it. Dance a gumbo. gumbo. Yes. <laughs> uh, a goulash. Yes. Um, and, you know, everyone is hot and the music and the glamour of the theater really, it was such a like weird turn on in a way because mm -hmm. I was 12, I was becoming more adult in my tastes and seeing the glamour and the beauty and the artistic expression on stage really just like flipped a switch in my head and I was like, oh my God, I want to be on that stage so badly. <laughs> I, I love that story. I feel like everyone can remember the first time they fell in love with ballet. I know that you continued to train and then eventually came to New York to study at American Ballet Theater in the summers. How did that first taste of independence shape you? I mean, coming to New York City in the late 90s as a teenager was exhilarating. Mm -hmm. And it really informed my social capabilities. I think I learned how to interact with people. I think I learned uh, just how to be an extrovert when I needed to be mm. and how to focus when I need to focus. It was difficult for me during that time to really feel like I was achieving anything 
within the summer programs because I was never the best one in the summer course. And I felt very subpar comparatively. So I, w I became a very social person in those years where I was doing the summer course. And it really informed my ability to interact with people. And I don't know that I focused enough on the dancing at that time. And in retrospect, I'm like, oh, gosh, I feel like perhaps I didn't uh, try hard enough. And I've been working to make up for that lost time ever since. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've done more than enough to make up for that time. Well, thank you. Yeah, I participated in ABT summer program also in the later 90s. I wonder if we crossed over. I feel like I think I went 96, summer of 96 or 95. I, did 90, I think I did 99 or maybe it was okay. 2000. I don't remember. I'm a little, I'm a little older than you. So. I won't tell. <laughs> but um, I remember it was quite intense and it was very intimidating. I do remember yeah. that aspect. But I also remember, I think maybe similar to you, coming to New York and just feeling like, this is it. Mm -hmm. Not only do I know I want to dance, but I know I want to live here mm -hmm. in New York City for all of the other things that it, it allows someone like me with my energy to bring. New York City becomes a cult. Yes. And you, all you want to be is the sort of head honcho of the cult. <laughs> and when I got a taste of New York City as a teenager... That was pretty much it. I mm. knew that I was not going to be living in Des Moines. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no shade, but maybe a little. No shade here. <laughs> Just in terms of what you said about being an extrovert when you need or want to be, mm -hmm. why did you say that? Because I think there's a sort of time and a place for that sort of energy. Mm. And I think there's a finite amount of extroversion, if you will, in a single person. I feel like uh, when you are in a big sort of social situation or you're presenting something or you're hosting something or it's a huge personality expenditure, I feel like it takes time to recover from that. It's mm -hmm. like you're spending your personality points and you have to sort of <laughs> recharge that part of yourself. Like yeah. your soul gets gets whittled down a little bit each mm -hmm. time and you need time alone to sort of recharge and become mm -hmm. your most normal self instead of this sort of performative center of attention kind of thing. Did you feel that you could find yourself in rehearsals or did you feel as a student in training that you had to put on something else? I don't really know that I ever felt like I had to put on anything else other than what I was. Mm -hmm. I've always been happy to perform in any capability in any sense so even when i was like five six years old i was highly performative in my personality mm -hmm. like sense of humor being strange you know just being myself and when i went to to ballet and jazz and tap and everything i was like oh my gosh no this is my audience uh. you know what i mean i felt finally like i wasn't being completely insane and i really belonged in this community because we are of a like insanity. You definitely have to have a certain amount of crazy to want to be a performer. And I think there are so many people similar to yourself that find that sense of freedom. What were some of the obstacles that you ran into and how did you find your grit? 
Okay, so when I was 16, I went away to a ballet boarding school in Virginia called the Virginia School of the Arts. And I, I sort of decided to go away to ballet school because I became aware of my deficiencies in my ballet technique. And I had learned what I needed to at my home school, basically, mm -hmm. and wanted to move on. And once I got there, I was fully and wholly dedicated to improving my ballet technique and my expression, all that stuff. But the obstacles that I faced were more, I don't know the best way to put this, but, you know, I didn't really understand what ballet should be, I guess. I was classically trained at my school, but I had all these other influences that I brought to my ballet that mm -hmm. sort of gave it a, it made my dancing funny looking. I don't okay. know. Like... <laughs> It was like people would look at me and be like, okay, the raw talent is there, but it just looks wrong. You know what I mean? Okay. I remember, I mean, this isn't even that long ago. It was N Natalia Makarova was coaching me uh, as Solar. Okay, wait, hold on. Just that you just dropped that name and then <laughs> just say, was coaching me, you know, so casually. <laughs> Casual. I mean, that's ABT for okay. you. <laughs> um, so... Natasha there you go. <laughs> was coaching me in La Bayadere as Solar. And I ran my variation from the Pas Action and she sat there. She had slumped down into her chair and she was sort of had her arms by her side. And she goes, I don't know. It looks weird. <laughs> and that really sums up my battle with trying to get my no. my technique and everything to a place where it looks like the ideal. But at the same time, all those things that make me weird are the things that have uh, become things that I'm celebrated for. And finding the balance has been really quite a challenge for mm. me, actually. But I wouldn't change it for the world. And what did you do specifically to find your coordination, if you will, in classical ballet or finding those transitions and shapes to make it more seamless and I, I guess less weird. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's um I listened to my coaches. I I'm pretty receptive as a student and I I'm very good at looking at other people and identifying what it is that makes them look very beautiful. So what I did a lot was look to people who inspired me and try to essentially just like steal their their vibe. And then it it inevitably looks like me still because I'm me and I, you just can't hide me in yeah. anything really. But I looked to people that I really respected. I mean, when I was in Boston Ballet, I looked to people like, Paul Thrussell, who was a principal there, and he, he really inspired the way that I dance mm. a, as a male classical ballet dancer in the sort of like principal space. Yeah, I just watch people that I like and try to figure out why they're good. Yeah. Were you one of those kids who watched VHS tapes and DVDs until they warped to find like what that special secret sauce is? Yes, but I, I didn't have any ballet videos or ballet DVDs or anything, which just goes to show where my head was at at the time. I had a VHS tape of West Side Story that I completely destroyed. I would watch it. I would write down the lyrics to the songs, like pause, go back. What was that lyric? Write it down. 
go back, try it, try it again, make sure it's right. Uh, I would learn the dances. I would I tape TRL on on MTV mm-hmm. and then learn the the choreography from Britney Spears and Beyonce videos in the year two thousand one or something. Yes. You know, and uh, that was that was the sort of dance language that that really touched me at the time. And I I didn't have any ballet videos that I really went nerd over, but I do recall moving to Virginia to this ballet school and all the guys, all the, all the straight, truly all the straight male dancer students had all these videos of Carlos Acosta and Baryshnikov mm. and they would sit around and, and watch them. And I feel like I learned a lot about showbiz in mm. a way from watching those mm-hmm. too, because I saw what they reacted to and the things that, that I reacted to were a little bit different than what they were reacting to. But it it informed a lot of my taste. I found just doing more research about your early life and listening to your story that you really have this determination, this sense of what I call grace and grit. And I wonder if you can pinpoint what that is and what has motivated your incredible trajectory. I think it was always a part of me. I can't really uh, pinpoint a turning point for like, I didn't all of a sudden have this will of the warrior. You know what I mean? (laughs) I've always been a try hard. It's been hard to reach me in some settings, like in, in academic school. I was not a good student. I did not respect most of my teachers. I was a difficult person. Mm. And I think I still am in a way. But I've always been a hard worker at the things that I want to work hard at. If I find value in something, I will try really hard at it. I'm a notorious try hard in this way. And you can even, (laughs) you can tell when I'm dancing, I'm like, I'm going to do it, you know. (laughs) Um, But it's just latent within me. I think a lot of people can relate to that. And tell me about the moments when you landed at Boston Ballet and getting your start. Did you ever feel or have this sense when you hit the stage or you were in rehearsal, like, I've arrived. This is what I'm meant to do and I'm doing it. Did you ever have that feeling early on? You know, it, this, it actually came externally because mm-hmm. I felt sort of very comfortable and correct in a, like all of my life. Wherever I am, I feel very much that that's where I'm supposed to be. Mm. But there was one moment, it was after a Christmas or something, and I had been visiting my dad, and he was driving me back to Boston. He delivered a one-liner that really sent me. He said, you know, when you, were, when you told me you wanted to be a ballet dancer, I thought to myself, oh, good Lord. Okay, <laughs> sure. But, you know, who knows how that's going to go. Yeah. And he's like, but you're actually doing it. And you you're actually making it a life. Wow. And I, I sort of viewed that external validation as something really, really important to me mm. and, and was something I craved in a way. It just, it felt good to be told that someone maybe believed in you, but was unsure or scared for you because, you know, it's your child. But I was like, yeah, I am doing it and I will continue to do it. And I work really hard at it. What an affirmation. <laughs> also to to receive it from a parent oh, I yeah. think is especially meaningful and yeah. impactful. Most yeah. parents when their child is saying they want to be an artist, they want to be a clothing designer, they want to make film, like 
whatever art form it is, the parent goes, okay, here we go. Like, yeah. you sure you don't want to be a banker? Because, right. You that know, path is a little bit more sure. Yeah. Right? If you have a wealth of opportunities in that way, it's not that hard to find a way to make money. Mm-hmm. But being an artist is really, really hard. And a lot of people just can't make it work. And, and that's really sad because a life in the arts is just so rich. Mm. Can we talk a little bit about your own process, your creative process? How do you develop yourself in a role? And how has that changed since your beginnings as a professional dancer? Well, a lot of my earliest opportunities in ballet companies, like in Boston Ballet, came from outside forces. So a choreographer would come in and say, you know, I want to use that queen over there. And I'd be like, yes. (laughs) And then I would take on what they were teaching with a sort of eagerness and a fervor that that they generally responded really well to. And that served me really well. And I always found it really beneficial to be just unapologetically yourself and receptive to the choreographer or the coach's information. They have an idea and, and you are interpreting their work. And I think it's really important to be yourself, but also be coachable. And then as I get older and do a bunch of repeat roles, like we do at ABT, where we come back to Romeo and Juliet year after year or something, I find that process to be very different because I learn more and more about what I want to say Uh, within the roles. And that is just so exhilarating to me. And what a gift too. Absolutely. You know, to have the chance to revisit. It's like revisiting an old friend that you get to discover more and more about every time. Absolutely. An old friend that beats the crap out of you. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like scared out of your mind, but you still want to hang out with that person. (laughs) What are some of your favorite roles that you've danced? So I adore Prince Albrecht and Giselle. I adore Romeo. Those are my two favorites. And then on the contemporary side, I've had a lot of fun doing things like Rotlonsky's Symposium and uh, and some pieces by Yorma Elo in Boston Ballet. And uh, there's a commercial slash Broadway choreographer, theater choreographer named Al Blackstone. Mm-hmm. And I, I did a piece for him for the Fire Island Dance Festival years ago. And it was the first time I got to play an explicitly gay character on stage. Mm-hmm. And that was just, as, as I look back on my career and things, I... I think to myself, what a gift to be able to see myself in in a character. And I just had the best time with that piece. Oh, I, I love that. I love that festival, too. How has it been working as a classical ballet dancer and being in this expectation of playing traditionally heterosexual roles? I mean, it's hard to say. I chose this world for myself, and it has been my dream since I was 12, to be a part of this world. And uh, I I have nothing to complain about in that regard. But I have more to offer than just that as Mm -hmm. I continue to explore my own creativity and make work and be a part of external projects. It's very exciting for me to get as gay as I damn well please. Mm -hmm. And I look forward to making work that is explicitly gay and just telling my stories. I've got stories, let me tell you. 
Epic ballets. <laughs> you bet. How are you seeing things change in the classical ballet world? I've personally had so many conversations about diversity and dance mm. and wondering what your thoughts are on this idea of inclusion and not just racially, but about gender and sexuality. Do you know who Harvey Firestein is? Uh, he's a playwright. He's an actor and a writer and just an incredible person. And there's a podcast that I listened to recently called um, WTF with Mark Maron. He interviews Harvey Firestein. Okay. And um, Mark asked him a similar question. Just basically, this is a, a you know a, a gay man in his seventies, I think, and he's talking about how much has changed. And there was a single point that really, really stood out to me. And he said, you know, I I've seen a lot, but what I've learned is to follow the kids, follow the youth. Whatever they're doing, it's their world. And we had our moment, and it's our responsibility to support them in their fight for whatever it is that's important to them regarding uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, gender, uh, uh, sort of like gender discrepancies in, in classical ballet and things. I want to absolutely follow the youth and their bright, bright souls. Mm, and, and they are so passionate. And I, I think it would be really wise of us to support because nothing makes me feel older than being angry that things are changing. Mm, wow. And I don't want to feel old. <laughs> no. <laughs> or angry. I, I want to see our field continue to expand. It will. It must. It must. Yeah, and, and with encouraging young dancers to be themselves mm -hmm. and to bring themselves to the studio is a really beautiful thing to support. Mm -hmm. It's so reflected in your work as a performer. Your authenticity <laughs> on stage rings true. Thanks. So nowadays, now that you're a principal dancer of American Ballet <laughs> Theater, I have seen your poster of this like superhero jump Hanging on the walls of 890 Broadway, those yeah. are the ABT studios. When you see that poster, what goes through your mind? Well, that poster specific, I know the one you're talking about. It's like you get off the manually operated <laughs> yeah. elevator from 1908. Still manually operated. <laughs> and you are accosted by this superhero poster where I'm like shooting electricity out of my hands. Um, <laughs> and I think to myself that I'm furious that I don't have the millions of dollars that people in Marvel movies have. There it is. Um, so get me a spandex bodysuit and stick me to a wall. <laughs> uh, no, I am 1000% grateful. But it is a little strange. Like it's a little weird being greeted by a poster of yourself when you go to your work. <laughs> it's, it's like a little much. <laughs> but know that there are so many students who walk through those hallways yeah. and look at that poster and think, one day I want to be yeah. just like James. Yeah. And I'm sure other dancers at ABT look at you for inspiration to try to figure out how to dance like you. <laughs> there are some qualities that you have that are so uniquely you as a dancer. First, you have this incredible athleticism and you have grace and at any given time, you can strap on a pair of point shoes. How did you develop that range of 
artistry? I was encouraged as a young person to explore different styles of dance. I trained in ballet, tap, jazz, lyrical, contemporary ballet, African dance, acrobatics, tumbling, fossey. I mean, like the <laughs> list goes on. And people are always saying, oh, are you, do you feel like you missed out on like a traditional ballet training? And I, you know, in a way, yes. Yeah, I do. But I wouldn't change my training at all. And the way my teachers, when I was very young, exposed me to different styles has informed everything about my creative expression. Uh, my confidence in trying something new comes from that. And they never shamed me into feeling like I should be one thing. Wow. And to be a jack of all trades uh, is is very attractive to me. I heard you say in an interview for In the Know mm. that your job is to make classical ballet effortless. I actually gained my first level teaching certification from the ABT teacher training program. And now it's ingrained in my head that technique is when you can use minimal effort to achieve maximum outcome. What does that statement mean to you? You know, it's a little... It's a little tough to stomach because the ideal is to make it effortless, but I don't look effortless when I dance. Like I'm not one of those people that are just sort of like amorphously floating through movement. I tend to show a bit of effort mm -hmm. and I'm happy to expend enormous amounts of energy on stage. <laughs> I am not afraid to get tired and I have, I have really good stamina I think that's a, a boon mm -hmm. as, a, as an artist when you have all these hard things to do and you're not exhausted halfway through. So there's, there's a sort of like balance that you need to achieve because show business to me is, is about understanding the audience as well as understanding yourself as an artist. And I want to have a conversation with the audience that they can understand. And sometimes when you show effort through enormous energy they respond to it they say holy crap what he's doing looks impossible and that's part of the conversation and it riles them up and i think that's really important yeah i agree i wonder have you ever worked or trained with arthur mitchell before no i haven't he used to say that to me all the time because the one thing that I knew I always had was like effortless extension. I just mm -hmm. have always been flexible and could hold my leg up to yeah. there. But he would say, don't make it look so easy, Alicia. Make the mm. audience work for it. Show yeah. the effort, show the work. And I'd never heard anyone say that to me. He would say, you make it look too easy and you have to pull the audience in. Like I remember learning Agon, pas de deux. Mm -hmm. And there are all these moments where you can build suspense. Mm -hmm. And he would say, show you the effort. Mm -hmm. Make it seem like we don't know if you're going to fall flat on your face or if you're going to make it work. I think that's incredibly wise, especially with a, a piece like Agon, where there's so much tension, especially mm -hmm. between the partners mm -hmm. and the partner work. You have all these incredibly, like, tense, off-balance, fighting scenes, essentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think telegraphing that is part of the piece. And with Arthur and with a lot of people of that generation, I think what their comfort zone is, is show business. Like mm. when you really think of showbiz, I think of people like 
Bob Fosse, I think of shows like a chorus line where you're really in tune with music and the audience. And you're like, I don't know. I, I don't quite know the best way to say this, but like, oh, think of something like in the upper room. Imagine if you did in the upper room as though it were easy. Yeah, Twyla Tharp would not like that. <laughs> no, the whole point of that piece is not only the intricacy of the choreography, but it's the extreme expenditure of energy that mm -hmm. is incredibly inspiring and and just awesome to the audience. Mm -hmm. That's part of, that's showbiz to mm -hmm. me. I, I don't think I've ever told you this story before, but um, in 2018... I was interviewing to be the new dean and director of Juilliard Dance. I never thought I would get that position, first of all. I just went into the interview process thinking this is a really great learning opportunity for me. Yeah. And so I was unapologetically me, <laughs> thinking it's okay to actually just say the truth because I'm not going to get this job anyway. <laughs> so when I did get the job... I came to New York at the end of the spring semester 2018. I was living in Sugarland, Texas, wow. um, and kind of like teaching here and there and just trying to figure out my life. I had a one and a two-year-old at the time. And so coming to New York City by myself for like four days to stay in the Empire Hotel by myself was such a luxury. <laughs> so one night I had free and... I decided to go to the ballet and I got a nosebleed seat to see you in Giselle with Isabella Boylston. Oh. And I remember feeling like this is my why. Seeing you perform and feeling that magic, there's something transformative about being an audience member and a fan of dance and seeing you in performance and the magic that you made with Isabella. And you had such a big role in me feeling like, I can do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to move back to New York with two little kids <laughs> and train dancers in the dance mecca of the world here in Lincoln Center. So I just want to say thank you for that inspiration. That makes me feel amazing. Thank Aww. you, really. You were really just outstanding. And I think the two of you together makes me ask, how can I become a Cindy? <laughs> okay, well, being a Cindy is, is a state of being. Okay. So there are a couple of things you need to be in touch with your inner Cindy. Okay. Rule number one is you cannot take yourself too seriously. You can take your work seriously. You can take your art seriously. You can take your finances seriously. But you need to have perspective when mm. it comes to yourself. Next thing is you have to be able to express yourself. Don't be shy about being yourself. And find people who make you comfortable to be exactly who you are. Because you're going to be the best version of yourself with support. Yes. So uh, you absolutely can be a Cindy, but you have to uh, tap into all those little tenets. Okay. I think I'm at the point now. I'm happy to do that. Yeah. So. <laughs> Welcome, Cindy. Welcome. Welcome to the cult. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you have beautifully defied the expectations of what it means 
to be a male ballet dancer. You make music as JB Dubs and perform as You Who Bitch. Mm-hmm. You are a writer, a podcaster, and a choreographer. How do you find time to pursue all of your passions? I think that I cannot, you know, talk about this without saying that I've been afforded really beautiful opportunities. But that being said, I think when you really, really want to try something, you try it, you know, and that can be anything. I I know people in ABT, for example, who are really passionate about baking. And they stay up until three in the morning after a show trying a new banana bread recipe or something. (laughs) Uh And that is the sort of energy that I deeply relate to where it's Mm -hmm. like, no, wait, I want to learn how to self-produce music. I'm Mm going to stay up after rehearsing all day and watch YouTube tutorials on how to produce my own music on my computer. I want to learn how to do drag makeup. I'm going to practice this. I'm going to go out with my friends and experience this lifestyle. If you have an interest, it's really exciting to give yourself the freedom to explore it. You don't have to be good at it. You don't have to succeed. You don't have to make money. It's important to give yourself the freedom to try. Yeah, that bravery and curiosity. Maybe oh, that's yeah. what it is, that sense of curiosity, just what would this be like? Let me get yeah. a, a taste of what it is. Has it been difficult to navigate your passions, being completely yourself while being a principal of American Ballet Theater, where you also are responsible for representing the company? No, it has not been difficult because my heart is always in the right place. And I'm never trying purposefully to disrespect anybody and it's dangerous to put yourself out there and I'm willing to happily express myself knowing full well that I could make a mistake but I'm a person and mistakes happen and I refuse currently to be afraid of expressing myself because fear of repercussions or whatever so I'm just going to continue trying to be a good person and happily express myself in ways that make me feel interesting. I think that's part of your character, your charm. You know, you inspire so many people. So I say, I think you do keep too. it going, keep it I going. I think you Thank do you. too, really. Keep it's, it going. I think you inspire so many. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Moving Moments. If you like what you heard, please tell your friends about it. Spread the word. Be sure to follow the show, rate us, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. To keep up with future episodes, follow us on Instagram at Moving Moments Podcast and visit us at artfulnarrativesmedia.com. Tune in next week as we hear another inspiring artist's moving moments.